0: Amen. We're going to continue our series in Nehemiah. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. If you're new here, haven't been here in a while, we've been involved in a series entitled, When God's Burden Becomes Our Vision. I hope you realize that God has a burden. And God's burden is for his people. God has a burden that his people would discover that he loves them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. And Jesus died for our sins, but he rose again for our salvation so that we could have eternal communion with God the Father. That's God's burden that his people would discover that. Well, Nehemiah got the vision as well. And that's what this series is about. It's the story of Nehemiah. When God dropped his burden into Nehemiah's heart, Nehemiah's vision became God's burden. Nehemiah was a representative of Jesus Christ. He was a type of Christ in the extent that he left his kingly place, his kingly castle, to go to a hurting people with no future, with no promise, with no direction. Just like Jesus left his heavenly throne to come to a hurting and dying world. And he gave us direction. He brought us back into communion with the Father. Well, that's what Nehemiah does. He takes the challenge to go to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild it. He rebuilds the walls, he rehangs the gates, and he begins to create this structure so that people can come and once again be in relationship with God the Father. It was a representation of the presence of God. And so they would come to here for the first time in over 140 years. They now had a place that they could come and begin to worship God. So as Nehemiah gets involved in this challenge, he discovers, like we all do, That when you begin to line up with God's call on your life, there is an enemy out there. And his plan is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Nehemiah discovered his enemies here. And last week we talked about how the enemies made threats. They had plans to come in and stop the building process. And truthfully, they did for a moment. And then Nehemiah, as a great leader, makes a decision. He says, you know what? We're going to keep building, but we're going to defend what we build. That's what we talked about last week. We need to continue to build on the things that God has called us to build. Amen? I mean, God says, you need to build on my relationship with you. That's the first thing I need to be building and working on all the time is my personal relationship with God. Because when I discover him as my father, then I discover myself as his child. I need to be building my relationship with my wife, with our spouses. We need to be building relationships with our children We need to be building relationships with the ministries that God has called us to, with the vocations that God has called us to. But at the same time that we're building these relationships, we need to know that the enemy wants to take out my marriage. He wants to take out my children. He wants to take out my ministry. But I don't have to live in fear over that because I've read the end of the book and I know who wins. (laughs) So I don't have to live in fear, but I do want to defend my relationship with God and not be distracted. I want to defend my relationship with my wife, defend my relationship with my children, and with the ministries that God's called us to. And so that kind of brings us up to speed where we're at with Nehemiah through chapter 4. Now we get into chapter 5, and once again the building process has stopped, but it's not because of an enemy outside, it's an enemy really just what's going on inside, that's taking place here. Let me give you a quick analogy. What's happened here is really the people are doing the work of the ministry, and they're poor. And so they begin to sell their land. They begin to put it up for mortgage, put it up for collateral. Everything that they have, they begin to put it up for mortgage. And pretty soon they realize that they're just about bankrupt. So then they start putting up their children. They say, hey, right now, you know, you've loaned me some money for grain and for food, and you've got my land as collateral, but I need more. And so, look, give me some more, and I'll give you my son or my daughter, and they will work to pay off my debt. And Nehemiah hears about this, and he says, no, wait a minute, this isn't right the women, the wives are getting upset about all this, that their sons are now being put into slavery. Their daughters are being put into slavery. Their husbands are now having to work into slavery. So they're not doing the work of the ministry. All of a sudden, they're doing work in slavery. So Nehemiah stops it all and says, look, this isn't right. Let's give it all back. Let's give everything back that we've taken for collateral, and let's let these people be free, okay? That's kind of where we're at. And then he goes on to demonstrate what a leader ought to be doing. So the title of this message is Come to the Table, and you're going to see why here as we begin to read this. Chapter 5, verse 14. Are you with me? Amen. Here we go. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, that's 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. What he's saying here is, I decided I'm not taking any federal help. Any federal aid. I'm not going to use federal money for this. I've decided I'm going to use my own money because the people were taxed. And he didn't want the people to have to be paying for what he was doing for them. He's going to use his own money. And this is why he describes it in verse 15. He says, "...because the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people." But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. See, the other governors, even their servants were taking advantage of the people that were poor and entering into business deals for them. It was like loan sharks. Loaning them money and charging a tremendous amount of interest to get them back. Nehemiah is saying we were here for one purpose, and that's to do the work for the ministry. And he demonstrates this in verse 17 when he says, At my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily. See, what he's saying here is he had a dinner daily daily for over 200-plus people. Now, that's some food, ladies, to have to cook every single day. That's a chunk of change if you're going to decide to have 200 people in your house every day. That would wear on you a little bit. And he has them in daily, and what was prepared was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine... Yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. He says, remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. Now, this chapter is a chapter about finances. This is a multi-million dollar transaction that takes place in here. Now, so I'm going to talk a little bit about money. Now, I want you to realize... I didn't plan on talking about finances the day that we showed the video. (laughs) I'm not that smart. I can't plan that far in advance. But God knew, okay? And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But there's more to this chapter than just the financial transactions that take place. This is a very, very clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this passage, I see four things I see how Nehemiah demonstrated repentance, he demonstrated redemption. He demonstrated restoration, and he demonstrated releasing the people to be who God's called them to be. We're going to go through these four, and we're going to be through. So I hope you can write fast, because I can talk fast. Number one, let's talk about how he demonstrated repentance. Look with me in verse 10, where Nehemiah admits that he's been a part of the problem as well. He says in verse 10, I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. He says, please let us stop this usury. He's saying, look, guys, I'm going to have to confess to all of you, I've been doing the same thing. I've been using them to make money for myself because Nehemiah was a businessman. And he says, you know what? I'm seeing how bad this is and how it's keeping me from the work of the ministry. It's keeping me from God, so I'm going to repent of this and turn away from it. You need to know that repentance and forgiveness are two totally different things. Are you with me? Forgiveness basically is just asking God to forgive you, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I have done towards you. Lord, I got drunk this morning. I'm sorry that I got drunk this morning. Father, would you forgive me? And then you come that afternoon and you say, Lord, I got drunk this afternoon. Father, I'm sorry I got drunk this afternoon. Would you forgive me? And then you go to him that night and you say, Lord, I got drunk tonight. I'm sorry I got drunk. Lord, would you forgive me? That's forgiveness, but that's not repentance. Repentance is saying, Lord, I'm sorry I got drunk this morning. Would you forgive me for doing that? And now, Lord, I repent of that, or better said, I turn away from that lifestyle, and I turn towards you. I choose to get my joy in you. I choose to use you to heal my wounds and the emptiness in my life, not alcohol any longer. Repentance means you turn away from the things that are keeping you from God and you turn towards God. Nehemiah understood the magnitude of repentance. Remember the first message we had of chapter one. That's one of the first things Nehemiah did was confess his sins. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you. We've got to understand that repentance is the access card that gets us to God's table. As soon as you make that decision to say, I'm turning away from what the world has for me, and I'm turning towards you, God, God says, I've been waiting for you to turn. Come on, I've prepared a table for you. So the repentance card is what gets you to the table of God. And when you sit down at the table of God, one of the first things you see that is being served up is redemption. Number two, Nehemiah gave a clear demonstration of the redemption in verse 8 when he says, And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Nehemiah demonstrated Jesus by literally taking his own money and buying back the Jews that were in slavery. He bought them back. He brought them in for the work of the ministry. But this is what happened. He frees them from slavery. He brings them in for the work of the ministry, and then they decide to go back and put themselves back in bondage for land and for grain and for money. Nehemiah says, wait a minute, this is totally messed up. I have redeemed you. I bought you out of slavery. Why are you putting yourselves back in slavery? Why are you putting yourselves back in a position to have to work off a of debt, and it's a debt that you'll never be able to repay? I hope you're hearing me, folks, because we do that. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. He redeemed you. He bought you from the pits of hell, folks. But we turn around and we make the decision that, you know what? We need to work so that God would love me. I need to be a good person so that God would talk to me. I need to be a good person so that I can call him Father. I need to clean up so that I can come before him. You think that you've got to start working your way back into grace with God. You've got to start working for that affirmation because that's what the enemy tells you. He says, you can't go before God like that. Look at you. He's not going to want to have anything to do with you. You need to clean up first and then come before God. You need to stop all that stuff you're doing and then come before God. That's not the way it went down, church. Scripture says, Jesus died for me while I was yet still a sinner. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows the ugliness. He knows the dirtiness that's in your life. And he says, if you'll just come to me, I'll take care of that. I've already bought you. I've already paid for all the sins that you have. Just come unto me. Just bring it all. Just as you are, come back to me. You don't have to clean up. If there's something else that you need to do to earn favor with God, then what Jesus Christ did at the cross was worthless. And we know that's not so. Because the last words that Jesus said were what? It is finished. Nothing else needs to take place. Their sins are paid for he died for my sins and he rose again for my salvation so Nehemiah demonstrates this redemption and so you get the access key or card of repentance that gets you to the table you sit down at the table you get redemption another thing that you get served to you at the king's table is restoration Nehemiah demonstrates this in verse 11 he says restore now to them even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it and we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. When you come to the table, Jesus says, what do you need? And you come and you go, well, Jesus, I've got a, I got a broken heart. He says, that's okay, I'll give you a new one. Man, I don't have a name. I don't even know who I am. That's okay, I'll give you mine. Now, there's a difference between restoration and repair. See, repair just says, I'll make the hurting go away. I'll stop it. You go to the doctor, and you got a broken arm, and the doctor says, that's okay, we'll repair it. We'll fix it. You go to Jesus, and he says, that's okay, I'll give you a new arm. See, you go to the doctor with a heart problem, he says, that's okay, we'll figure out a way to mend it and make it all better. You go to Jesus with a broken heart and he says, that's okay, I'll give you a new one. See, there's a difference between restoration and repair and God wants to restore you as if nothing ever happened in your life. He doesn't just want to take the pain away, he'll bring you back to the place as if nothing ever happened in your life. He restores you to the fullness of the child of God that he wants you to be. And it's all on him. You can't restore yourself. It's on him. So when you sit at the table, just be open and honest and say, this is what I need. He says, that's okay. I've got that. That's good. And while you're sitting at the table, all of a sudden he gets to release you. He empowers you. He equips you. And he releases you to be who God's called you to be. That's the last point. Nehemiah demonstrates this with the passage that I already read when he says, And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me. And once every 10 days, (laughs) this is good, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions first thing Nehemiah does in the restoration process, he says, give it all back. Everything that was taken, all the land, everything, the olive groves, give it all back, all the money that you've charged them interest, give it all back. And then Nehemiah says, and we're going to give even more. We're not just going to restore, but we're going to bless on top of that restoration. So he begins to set up a table that they can come and eat of his provisions on a daily basis. And then every 10 days, he breaks out all kinds of wine and he throws a party. Oh, church. (laughs) Man, when you come to the table of God, man, there's a party that breaks out in heaven on your behalf. Man, the angels get excited when you decide to repent, when you decide to receive that redemption, when you sit at the table and you begin to receive that restoration, man, there's a party that goes on in heaven. God gets excited about that. But Nehemiah is demonstrating to them that no longer do you have to live like the old man lived. You have a new life, a new calling. See, the old lifestyle was, man, take everything you can. You find somebody in need, use them for gain in your life. I mean, do everything you can to get, get, get. The old style says the man that dies with the most toys wins the game. Nehemiah says that's not the way we do it at the kingdom of God's table. At the kingdom of God's table, we can give because we've been freely given. And the king doesn't run out of who he is. His provisions never run out. Man, this is good stuff, folks. When you begin to come to the king's table, you take on the DNA of your father. Amen? Now, is God a giver? Scripture says that he first gave while I was yet sinners, and he gave it all. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave, and he gave it all. And so if he is a giver and I am made in his image, I am a giver. Every one of you in this auditorium, you have the DNA of God the Father. You are a giver. Most of us are frustrated givers. Because we get to the point where we say, God, what can I do? And you look at your checkbook, you look at the commodities and the assets and the abilities you have, and you realize you can't do much. And you get frustrated. You say, Lord, I want to do a lot, but I just don't know what I can do. So you go out, you spend a few bucks, and you buy a lottery ticket, and for one week, you dream about what you would do if you got the money. Am I just speaking to myself? You do. You think, man, if I won that $10 million, this is what I'd do. Man, I'd give to that building project. I'd bless mom and dad. I'd take care of my sister. You think that way because you're a giver. And you think of all the things you would do for somebody else if you had the resources. You do. They're just not in your checking account. They're in God's checking account. Come on now. God has all resources, all provisions. He has everything that he needs to accomplish his purpose. And he's calling us to partner with him. And we are all givers. You know, God has created in me the ability to give. And I love blessing people. And my son, Michael, has my DNA. I tell you, he is an absolute giver. When he was five years old, we bought a mom, Dana, some perfume for her birthday. And I was wrapping the perfume up, and we were going to put it in a box. And Michael said, I want it to be for me. And I said, well, it is, buddy. He said, well, no, it, I, I didn't buy it, Dad. He, he's five. I said, well, you don't have to buy it. Daddy buys it with his money. He said, well, wait a minute. He runs into his room. He comes back with one of his precious marbles and a nickel. And he throws it in the box because he wanted it to cost him something. And so Dana opens it up. She's got a gorgeous bottle of perfume and a nickel and a, and a marble. You know, she didn't understand. But, but that's what happens. He's got my DNA. Now, listen, when you get to the point that instead of saying, God, what can I do? When you get to the point that you can say, God, what do you want to do through me? That's when you've entered a supernatural lifestyle. You've partnered with the man that has it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but that's a scary place to be. Dane and I had a ministry before I became a full-time pastor, and we would travel to churches and bless folks and and uh, oftentimes people because we were a nonprofit organization they would give us cars they would give us clothing donations and things and we would look around and we may have had an abundance of vehicles or cars and so we'd say you know who can we give these vehicles to or these cars and we enjoyed giving vehicles away and things but there came a time in my life when god says i don't want you to give out of your resources i want you to give out of mine and i said i, I don't understand he says, I want you to begin to give out of my resources, not relying on your own abilities. Well, that's scary. That's real scary. Now, let me backtrack for just a minute and tell you, there's nothing wrong with looking at your abilities to give and saying, Lord, what can I do? There's really nothing wrong with that. That's the first step. As Dane and I are looking at this building that we're trying to build, we knew several years ago we were going to be building a building. We knew we wanted to be able to give more. So we made a decision to sell our house. We sold a nice house that we had, had four acres and a pond out there and some horses, and we downsized into a little bitty house with a little bitty yard. I don't own a lawnmower anymore. Glory to God, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't have to spend seven hours a day mowing any longer, you know, but we downsized in our house. Beginning of this year, we looked and we said, you know what, I had a nice car. I'm going to get rid of my car. I'm driving a car that's eight years old now with about 100,000 miles on it. Dana got rid of her nice SUV. She got a small car. Now, this is just what we're doing as leaders. I'm not trying to put this on you. And believe me, I'm not trying to paint a picture that we're suffering. I still drive a very nice car, and we still live in a very nice house. I'm not trying to tell you something that's not. But just that alone, we were able to say now, we can give over $15,000 in a three-year time just on that sacrifice. But then we step in and we say, now, Lord, what do you want to do through us? That's different. The best story that I have to illustrate that, and a lot of you have probably heard my story about the truck, and if you have, forgive me, but uh, I want to share this with you because it's my story, and it's when God called me to give beyond myself. When we started this church, we officed, not in the building, but with a group of people. They were salesmen in this office with us. And there was a guy in the office, his name was Randy. And Randy had a hard time. He wasn't a Christian. His wife had bone cancer. And she was slowly dying. And it wasn't long after we moved into the offices that his wife passed away. They had some children from a previous marriage of hers. And the husband came in when the wife passed away, the previous husband, and took all the children. He lost his wife. He lost all of his children. Because of the medical bills, he had to declare bankruptcy. His house was repossessed, and his car was repossessed, all within about a two-month period. He didn't even have the money to buy the tombstone for his wife. So we stepped in, and we bought the tombstone. He was always on our heart because we saw him. Man, we saw his life was just breaking. It was falling apart around him. I was playing in a golf tournament out here, and um, if you play golf in any kind of tournaments, you know a lot of times they have those par threes. And a lot of times on a par three, they'll have a car or a truck sitting there. And if you get a hole-in-one, you win the car, right? So I'm sitting here on this tee box of a par 3, and it's a nice little truck sitting there. And just kind of under my breath, you know, as I'm about to swing, I just kind of said, Lord, man, it sure would be nice for me to make this hole-in-one and and give Randy that truck, you know? And as I take my back swing back, as clear as I could hear God, he said, why don't you give him yours? Now, I had a really nice truck. (laughs) I had a $17,000 truck that I paid cash for. It had leather interior. It was fire engine red. It had the running boards, the bug shield, AM, FM, cassette, six-disc CD changer. So as I made my swing, I missed the ball pretty much completely. It landed on the women's tees. I, said, I went home, and I said, honey, you won't believe what I heard somebody say to me. I'm pretty sure it wasn't God, but they said, we need to give Randy my truck. And she said, I'm pretty sure it wasn't God either. Because it's the only truck you got, and we don't have any money to go out and get another vehicle. We had just started the church, and I agreed with her 100%, but it didn't go away. And I wrestled with this thing for over a week, and I went back to Dana as we had prayed about asking God to let us not give the truck. You know, Because this is where God says, I want to do something through you. I don't want you to do something. I want to do something. And Dana came back and she goes, you know, this might be the Lord just testing us to see if we would step out on faith and believe for him. And I remember the day I was driving down the road, you know, and I just said, okay. I mean, this is two weeks I've been wrestling with this. I said, okay, God, it's just a truck. You know, I don't really need it. He needs a vehicle much more than I. It's just a truck with a six-disc CD changer and an AMFM cassette, leather, but it's just a truck. Have you ever done this with God? You challenge him? You test him, So I said, okay, God, I'll drive to the office, and if Randy's standing in the doorway of my office, I'll give him the keys, you know? So I pull up, and of course, he's not even there. And I go into my office, and I sit down, and five minutes later, he comes in. And I said, hey, Randy, man, man come here. I'd resigned myself to the fact that this was God. He walks in, and he sits down at my desk, and I said, look, man, God wants you to know that you're not going through this alone. And he wants you to know that he loves you in a very tangible way. And I handed him the keys to the truck. He looked at me, he looked at the keys, and he said, I don't understand. I said, there's nothing to understand. That truck is yours. Everything that's in it is yours. It's a gift from God. He says, well, how much is it going to cost me? I said, it's not going to cost you anything. Somebody else has already paid for it. It's a free gift, just like God's love is a free gift for you. He started crying, and he just got up and got his keys and walked out because he was embarrassed. I called my wife. I said, honey, I need a ride home. <laughs> she said, you did it? And I said, yes, I did. So she comes, and she gets me, in church, there's nothing that can replace that feeling right there of stepping out. And when you step out there on faith, and you begin to see the response of that individual, nothing compares. Nothing So I get home, you know, and I'm studying the Word of God, and the Scripture says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken up, overflowing. I said, All right, man, the action's on. Where's my new truck? (laughs) A week went by. I didn't have a new truck. I keep looking around. Where's it going to come from? You know, am I going to win it here? Radio station, whatever. Where's my new truck coming from? Two weeks go by. I don't have a truck. Three weeks go by. I don't have a truck. I don't have anything. And almost a month goes by, and I'm getting a little frustrated now. Because, hey, God, I stepped out there, and you're supposed to really bless me when I give. Paul Davis, one of our elders, he has a business, and he had a lot of trucks on his fleet line, and he was about to retire one. And he said, David, I'm really getting tired of giving you rides everywhere. Why don't you drive one of my trucks? He gives me a truck, and it's not... A truck with an AM, FM, cassette, six-disc CD changer in it. It doesn't even have a floorboard in it, much less a radio. (laughs) The top is caving in. I mean, it's got over 250, almost 300,000 miles on this thing, you know? I mean, it's not the truck that was in my dreams. And I start driving this thing around, and I'm mad. I'm like, I'm, I'm frustrated. I cannot believe this, you know? And I'm driving down the road one day, and it's just as clear as I can hear God's voice. He says, David, I'm so glad... That you got the revelation of giving so that you can get. Oh. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't do that just so I could get something in return. I did it to be able to bless one of your children. He says, I know you did, but you've lost focus. And I've provided you with a vehicle now that you're just not even grateful for. Man, I just felt so small. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to bless people so that I get rewarded. I want to bless people because of the blessing that's in the midst of blessing them. And at that moment, I decided, you know what? I'm going to move into the truck. (laughs) You know what I mean? You get your garage door opener in there, and you bring all your paper and everything. You move in. You say, okay, this is my truck. You know, thank you, Lord, for it. I moved into the thing. Prayed over it, but we prayed hard over that vehicle, you know. (laughs) prayed over it, you know, anointed it with oil about a quarter week, if I remember right. (laughs) And said, Lord, this is my truck. Thank you. It keeps the rain off of my head. It provides safety for me. And thank you. Thank Paul for giving it to me. I appreciate that. And I did. I just, I got to the place where I was thankful for what I had. And about three days after all of that happened, this was Christmas Eve morning. There was a knock at my door. And I open up the door, and there's somebody standing at the front door with the keys to an F 150 four door, four wheel drive, $34,000 truck. He said, Somebody wanted to bless you. Twice the amount of what I gave away. Man, I honestly, I hit my knees. I was so humbled. I would have never been able to appreciate that vehicle a month before that because I thought I expected it. I thought I deserved it. I thought I was entitled to it. Church, we're not entitled to anything. It's all God's. <laughs> the vehicles that we have, the houses that we have, the clothes that we have, the money that we have, it all belongs to God. And the quicker we get to that place where we say, Lord, it's all yours. Now, what do you want to do through me? The quicker you get to live a supernatural lifestyle. I'll never, I never—I just would never do anything to take away that experience that God gave me there. Man, God is a good God. You can't out giving because he has all the resources. He has all the power. He has all the ability to perform all things and to do all things and he's just asking us to partner with him. He says, would you want to come out and be a part of this great adventure? Because it's a great ride when you're with me. But here's the most important thing. Man, when you take that moment to say, Lord, I repent. I turn away from the way I've been thinking. I turn away from the world you turn around and you head to the table and when you get to the table you see seated at the head of the table is Jesus Christ the son of the living God and he looks up at you and he says I've redeemed you I paid for you there's no reason for you to suffer any longer scripture says he who ascended first descended into the gates of hell Jesus went into the pit of hell he said you know devil while I'm down here I think I'll just take back the keys of Tony Ellenberg. I'll take back the keys of Mark Ladd. I'll take back the keys of Kenny Thacker. I'll take back the keys of Paul Davis. I'll take back the keys of Cole Williamson. You put your name in there, Jesus took the keys back. And then he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ready to make restoration, ready to make provision, ready to give you everything that you need and that you want and bless you beyond your wildest imaginations. He says, come sit at my table. Let me restore you. And then let me equip you with my provision. Let me empower you with my authority. And let me release you to be all that I want you to be.